Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Cor Stoob. How are you doing today, Cor Stoob? All good? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, just looking forward to the to the next game week. It's been pretty enthralling in a way, the last four game weeks. Yeah, it's been it's been a very busy week of Serie A football. And Jake Smalley, how are you doing, Jake? I'm really well, thank you. It's been a while, hasn't it? I'm um, looking forward to having a bit of a chat about Inter as much as anything else. And to be honest, looking forward to chat about Napoli too. It's been a really good start from them. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, good to have you back on the podcast, Jake. Uh, and we're going to start with Napoli because they are absolutely flying at the moment. Um, five wins from five, including two this week. Uh, four nil away victories at uh, Udinese and Sampdoria. Um, Kostub, I'll come to you first. Um, that Napoli didn't change their squad that much this summer. It was more about keeping their best players. But one player who didn't get to play as much last season because of injuries and also had issues with COVID is Victor Ozzeman. He's on fire at the moment, isn't he? Five goals in his last three games, including the Europa League. Do you think he's maybe the game changer for them this season? Yeah, I think so. Because as you said, last season, he pretty much had every single footballer that every single issue that a footballer can come across. Like he had COVID, he had a head injury. He, I think he had a couple of muscle injuries or something. And so basically he pretty much had everything a footballer, every single fitness issue a footballer can go through. And I think apart from that, I think um, Napoli, even about two seasons ago, had a host of footballers who were just waiting to catch fire in a way. Uh, you look at Elmas, you look at Lozano, you look at um, Osiman himself. So I think... They've got they've got this spine um, which has sort of just come together at the same time in a way, where this or maybe the previous season was meant to be the one where those embers just basically turned into uh, fire essentially. So I think this season is probably going to be the one, and I think awesome. And every single time you look at him, he's the sort of striker where whenever you watch him play, every single time you can see that he's going to be a star. You you know you you have so many strikers who you constantly have doubts about about uh, their off the ball running running in behind their finishing, but Osimhen is just the sort of striker who you are just guaranteed uh, that he's going to be a star because he's pretty much got everything I think um, and yeah he's got he's got the service behind him which which is going to help him a lot I think in the Leicester City game um, in the Europa League I think. I do think um, Napoli were a bit hesitant in sort of finding him out, um, playing the right passes to him. But yeah, we saw what he did in the second half anyway. Uh, so yeah, he's he's just a brilliant footballer. I think he's he's got the makings of being one of the best strikers in Europe in a way for me. And still only 21 years of age, of course. He's, he, he looks like he's got a huge future ahead of him. You mentioned the spine briefly there, though, and it's been good to see Koulibaly back after a couple of you know, injury setbacks in the last couple of seasons. Uh, and also Zambo, Zambo Anguissa um, in the midfield. Um, he was pretty much the only signing Napoli made this summer, but he's settled right in, hasn't he, Jake? Um, look, looks right at home in that midfield alongside Fabian Ruiz. Do you think you know, perhaps he could turn out to be sort of the uh, the signing of the summer because it went a bit under the radar, but he's made a great start, hasn't he? Yeah, I think most people were sort of quite surprised seeing him go to Napoli in some ways. I mean, his time at Fulham has been really weird. 
He plays a season there, goes out on loan, comes back, plays, goes out on loan. And I think, to be honest, the deal they could get him on as well would represent good value if they made it permanent too. Uh, I think he's a pretty good sign. I think looking at a lot of the signs that the clubs have made this summer, it's hard to pick up one that's really outstanding. Um, you know, the, the league itself has lost a few key players, you know, Hakimi, Donnarumma, Lukaku. So it's going to be one of those under the radar signings for me that will really sort of stand out as being, wow, as, you know, how they managed to pick him up and he's fitting seamlessly. I said it a few times last year when I was on the podcast. I think Napoli, for me, in some ways, you could argue got one of, if not the strongest squads in that league. Um, looking back a few years ago, they had Sarri's manager and, you know, before him, Benitez and Matsari, they didn't quite have a depth to the squad, a few injuries, and they were really struggling. Uh, but now they've got two or three players in each position that are really strong. So I, I really expect them to finish top four this season. And I think they can make a tilt of the title if they can really keep going. You know, looking back at what has just been mentioned with Ossiman too, I think um, Spalletti's got a bit of a record at making really good strikers uh, as a focal point of teams. You know, he did it with the Cardi when he was at Inter. And Totti was pretty good under Spalletti the first time that Spalletti was there too. So uh, I think it's really exciting time to be a Napoli fan. I think they're going to be really good this season. They've certainly hit the ground running and we'll have to see if that continues. Um, one team that hasn't hit the ground running, of course, and we expected them to make a title too, is, uh, is Juve. Um, but they did get their first win of the season on Wednesday uh, against Spezia. They, they were behind at one stage in this game and it looked like, you know, sort of here we go again. But uh, but they managed to pull out a 3-2 win in the end, didn't they, Kostu? Um, how important was this victory for them just to get finally get that three points on the board? I think probably in terms of momentum, it was massive. But we've got to look at the fact that they did beat Malmo in the Champions League anyway. So they essentially just get this monkey off the back and all the Twitter trolls, in a way, uh, get them off the back, um, which were essentially saying that just making fun of them, saying that Juventus are nothing without Cristiano Ronaldo in a way, which is false. But yeah, I think purely in terms of momentum, it is important for them because I still expect them to um, challenge for the top four, not not concretely for the title. But yeah, I think they will be there or thereabouts inside the top four. And I think for Allegri, I think he came into a club which had essentially... Um, taken too much time to complete the transition and he's come in tried to change the formation so there's there, there's been a lot of instability around the club and I think now that Allegri got the win he can probably form a new spine of players which I think the sides, sides like Napoli, Roma and Inter probably already have and that's what I think Juventus are missing that Allegri needs to find that um, spine of players that he can rely on in pretty much every game because you you can see that he doesn't really have that now apart from Bonucci, Chiellini, Delict and a couple of other players. So I think that's what he needs to do now. And I think, yeah, the, the win was pretty uh, pretty important in terms of just momentum. Also. It's interesting that you say that you now expect Juve to be battling just for top four and sort of maybe not even in the title race. Jake, it seems... Uh, you know, there's been stats going around that I think it was the 2015-16 season, Juve started really poorly and they managed to pull it back because they were almost sort of perfect in those last 30 games. They, they're going to have to do that again, but do you think that they can now use that win to go on a bit of a run or do you expect there to be a few more bumps in the road this season, which will ultimately see them just battling for top four rather than the title? 
I think they'll be lucky to get in the top four. I think they'll battle for it, but I think they'll be really lucky to get in there. Uh, I think when you look at Serie A in the 2015-16 season, you look at it now, there was nowhere near the same level of competition. You know, you look at both Milan clubs at that point, floundering, you know, lucky to play Europa League football, to be honest with you, at that point. You know, Napoli was sort of an all right outfit then, you know, Roma, but, you know, there's a lot more quality in that league now. I think you could pick four or five teams this year and you won't be surprised if either of those won it. Even Juventus in pre-season, you know, people thought, you know, Allegri's come back and he's a fantastic manager. And there's still some experienced players in that squad, but it's in a major transition zone. You know, if you're appointing Allegri, he needs to be there for three years. You know, you bring in new players in to build into that spine. They've got Chiesa, they've got Matthias Dillick, who I think of two players who could play for that club for 10, 15 years. You know, realistically, whether they'll stay, I think, they might end up getting a move to, you know, Barcelona or a club like that if Barcelona get any money back. Um, but you know, it, it, they're the players to build a team around because there's a lot of poor players in that team and players who are past their best in in those clubs and Juventus. So I think they'll be looking to get the top four this season. I think they'll challenge. I don't think they'll be struggling. I think they'll get some mojo back. But I really think that it's transition. They can't expect to win the league this season. I think a lot of surgery needs to do into that squad. And I think it did 12 months ago as well. I just think the two managerial appointments that were made before Allegri were ones that didn't really make a lot of sense for Juventus, really. You know, Maurizio Sorry's not a Juventus star manager. It felt like Perlo was just sort of a caretaker for a season. There wasn't a lot of planning. The squad's roughly the same that Allegri inherited in some ways, you know, in terms of the mainstays who are in that squad. And as much as Bonucci and Chiellini were fantastic at the Euros, you know, their players were starting to sort of get past it a little bit now. You've got question marks over Szczesny. You've even got some players who are in and around the squad, like Kulisewski, that it, it appears Allegri isn't really a fan of either. And someone who he was sort of banked on uh, by Perlo as being, you know, a player for the future of that club. So there's so many question marks for me. Uh, I, I really feel like it's going to be a tough season for them after what's been nine years of pretty much relative perfect success for them, I, I don't see them mounting a sort of title challenge and I think they'll be lucky to get in the top four. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, actually. I, I do think the Juve have plenty, uh, plenty of problems to sort out. Um, another club that we thought might have to go for a bit of a transition this season uh, is Inter, simply because they lost a couple of players and and obviously they changed managers. But but they, uh, they've made a very positive start with four wins and a draw. Um, I'm going to stay with you first, Jake, because I know that you're, you've got a soft spot for Inter. Um, how impressed were you with their win on Tuesday against Fiorentina? Um, they were one nil down at half time, and I think it's fair to say Fiorentina edged that first half. But but then they came back and really took control in the second half, picking up a three one win in the end. Yeah, I, I was surprised based off the first half. See how well they played second half and came back. But if I'm taking anything from that game, it was how impressed I was with Fiorentina. To be honest, I think they did run out of a bit of steam towards the end, and I think that's to be expected. You know, the new managers expecting quite a lot of them and. Things like that, they're getting used to his system and, and stuff. But I, I thought they were really good value first off. But that's what makes it even more encouraging from an Inter point of view, that they could come back in the second half and really arrest it. I think one positive of Antonio Conte not being into this season is the fact that they're less rigid. You know, they find different ways to sort of win games. Last year, they were like a machine. They just go through the back end of the season and they just beat teams. It'd just be the same way every time. Give it Lukaku, play to the wings, get in behind, score goals. Whereas now there's a bit more license for creativity. And I think they'll lose more games. And I think they'll find it a bit tougher sometimes, but they've got more options now. And the way that they play is more fluid. And it, to be honest, it's more enjoyable to watch. 
I think. So, and to win away from home anywhere really is a good result. And to win at a team who are playing really well, play good football, who are sort of quite high momentum too, I think that's really, really encouraging. It's probably the best performance in terms of 45 minutes I've seen them give this season. I know they've battered two teams, but they weren't playing much. I think it was a really, really strong performance. So I was really impressed by them second half. And I think even looking at players like Edin Dzeko, you sign him on a relatively low sort of cost deal. And he's second top scorer of the league. I mean, I know I've played a few games, but it's already shown that he's proven his value. So it's, it's quite an exciting time to look at Inter, really. I think the summer was very much doom and gloom. You know, all the big fire sale and, you know, questions about the owner. And it was a bit depressing, really. But Inzaghi's come in. He's got a bit of a new style. The players obviously really like him. I think the only blot so far has been that um, Real Madrid result. And I thought they were really unlucky to lose that game. So I think it's an exciting time for it. I think they'll be there or thereabouts again this year. And some people during pre-season wrote them off. I think they were totally wrong. Yeah, good start for Inter in the league, as you say. Uh, that Champions League, we're going to have to see if they can get over that uh, hump. Of course, they'll be they'll be back in action in that next week. Um, of course, Dub, I'll come to you on Fiorentina because, as Jake said, there were a lot of positives, and and uh, they'd won their previous three games going into that Inter match. Um, so, so are you are you still looking at them in a very positive light? And as Jake mentioned as well. Perhaps the only concern is that they did seem to run out of steam a bit. And that was also maybe the case on the opening day against Roma. So is that maybe a little issue for Italiano to try and iron out? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think for me, Fiorentina probably going to be pretty much around what Sassuolo finished last season, or in fact, the last two seasons, where they sometimes threaten to go past number six. But at the end of the season, they just maybe just fell off by a couple of games or three or four games and then just finish seventh and eighth, maybe that uh, that that league position. Because I think even though um, they are playing some really good football and Vincenzo Italiano probably deserves a lot of credit. I mean, I think Ivan Juric has done a slightly better job at Torino already. But I think Fiorentina were a club which had no identity at all. Um, whereas you look at Torino, Torino, Torino at least, had some sort of a tactical identity over the last four or five seasons. But Fiorentina were a club which really had no direction in a way. Uh, they had no sense of what system to play, what tactical approach to use, whether to press high up the pitch or play deeper. They had constant managerial change. And to come into that club at the back of what happened with Reno Gattuso and Jorge Mendes and all that drama, to come into that club um, and just change the club completely and give the club hope, give it an identity on and off the pitch. I think that's pretty massive for a club of Fiorentina's stature because I think it's a club which um, could have qualified for the Champions League about um, in 2013-14, that period. And I think they are essentially one of the, for me, the OGs in a way of the 2010s era. So I think it, it's, it's always good to see that a club of Fiorentina is I won't say stature, a, a club of Fiorentina's vibe in a way where you look at them and there's some sort of a market marketability to them. You've got those jerseys, a one-club city, a, a very historic city in a way, a bit like Bologna in a way. Um, so I think it's it's really good for a club of that type to, um, to have a side like that. But I think even against Genoa, um, they conceded a late goal against Roma, we know they weren't really great towards the end of the game. 
And against Inter, as you just mentioned, they weren't really great. And I think that's probably going to be the story of the season because even though I think they've got enough options um, in midfield now, um, I still think they've got some issues in the front line. Um, I think I still think the right wing is a concern for them uh, because uh, when the summer transfer window uh, was about 10 days, um, 10 days, I mean, when, when we had 10 days left for the transfer window to close, you constantly saw links with Orsolini or Domenico Berardi and you constantly thought that maybe they are going to get a proper right winger in because even though Ricardo Sotil scored against Inter, I don't really think he had a great game anyway. And I think if Fiorentino want to qualify for Europe, um, they probably need to do a bit better than Sotil. Um, and even though Callejon is a veteran, he has some good games and he covers a lot of grass, I think there's probably need for um, a proper uh, right winger of the Berardi or Cellini of that ilk. So, yeah, I think there's loads of positives, but as I just said, a bit like Sassuolo last season, they're probably just going to fall short. Yeah, it does seem they, they're going to be around that sort of seventh or eighth spot uh, come the end of the season, uh, based on the way they've started this year. Um, but a team that we certainly expect to be higher than that is Milan, uh, Jake, uh, who, are, who are neck and neck with Inter at the moment with, with four wins and a draw. They played Venezia in midweek, um, sort of made hard work of this one, uh, in the end getting two second-half goals to win 2-0. Pioli sort of rotated the squad quite a bit. D did you see that as, as smart management or maybe shouldn't have made as many changes in the first place because it did get a bit hairy at one point where for oh, is this going to end nil-nil and then they finally came on strong the last sort of 20 minutes uh, I think this is where Milan are going to fall short I think compared to into potentially Napoli as well I think the squad that they've got just isn't quite strong enough um, I, I've been shocked how well they've started to be honest with you and I, I think if you look at the squad from last year how well they did well the kind of year of 2020 they're absolutely amazing but it relied a lot around the same sort of players. And, you know, they dealt with injuries, I thought, quite well last year at times. But I thought this momentum would just die. I thought it just completely collapsed this season. It might be quite tough for them. You know, you've got some big-name managers at some of the top clubs this year. It's a bit more competition up there, but they've been absolutely fantastic and totally proved me wrong. I think they've been brilliant. But I think the big Achilles heel that they've got that will stop them winning the title, I'm not ruling them out, but what will cost them if it does so, I think is that lack of quality in depth of the squad. I think they've still got, when you compare them to Inter on paper, you compare them to Napoli on paper, even Juventus in, in parts, you've three or four players in that Milan team that definitely wouldn't get in either of those squads. Uh, so if you're rotating the team, you'll look at the players they're putting out and you're looking at Milan, you're thinking, this is a team that wants to win the league. And you play like Rade Krunic and players like that, you know, no disrespect, but to play for a team challenging for the Champions League, you know, knockout phase, because that's what they want to aim for, isn't it? If they're in the competition, wanting to challenge for the league title, the, the strength in depth is just not good enough. And I think if they're going to rotate during the season, like Pioli did, they are going to drop points, I think, at some points. Better sides than Venezia, they'll play and try it and end up dropping them points. And that's what will cost them the title. Yeah, you, you may well be right there uh, in terms of it. Inter and Napoli do seem to have that slight edge uh, in terms of strength and depth. But but Milan have had to cope with some injuries and they have coped well so far. One player who's played regularly, Kostu, um, is Raphael Liao. I know he was linked with a move away this summer. I think he was linked with Wolves at one point. Obviously, that, that sort of Portuguese link. 
Um, but he has featured heavily so far with the likes of Giroud and Ibrahimovic being out. I know he divides opinion quite a lot. So, so where do you stand on him and, and how he started this season? Now, as far as this season's concerned, I'm probably on the brighter side. I mean, on the positive side. But on the overall, I think he, he, he reminds me a bit of, um, I mean, again, a sort of a Premier League comparison. I think he reminds me of Anthony Martial in a way where um, you know he's got the talent. You you know on his day he can be really, really good. He can score goals. He can get assists. And he's versatile enough to play centrally. He can, he's versatile enough to play on the left. But he's, there, there, there's just games where you question him in a way. Because even if you look at the Liverpool game where he pretty much created the goal that Brahim Diaz scored, before that brief five to seven minutes spell, I don't think he was great in that game. But as soon as that moment came, he, he just created a goal out of nothing. And it pretty much defined the sort of player that he is. He's, he's, he's pretty much a riddle in a way, a mystery, um, where I think where he's got spaces to attack, um, he's really good. Um, you look at the Lazio game where he was probably one of the best players on the pitch. Um, when Lazio are a team who like to play expansive football with a higher defensive line, um, he he exploited those spaces very very well. Um, even even the Liverpool goal, um, he had some space around him to work with, and he did well to create the chances. So I think he can do well when Milan are essentially playing on a counter attack or they are operating on a transition. But when Milan have to break teams down, I think that's where. Uh, Milan's real problems are um, because for Milan basically play a bit of a lopsided system where their right side is a bit conservative sometimes and the left side is a bit more expansive and in that way Leao doesn't really have a fixed position he on paper plays as a left winger but he plays as a second striker in a way um, because Theo Hernandez essentially plays as a left, as a left, as a left winger when uh, Milan attack, he's pretty much very, very high up the pitch and Leao has to cut inside. And I think as much as that um, helps Leao and that plays to his strengths, um, as he's closer to goal, he uh, likes to cut inside and take those shots uh, and take those shots. And I think, I think he's probably at a period of his career where managers need to maybe pigeonhole him into a position now. But otherwise, his development is going to stagnate. Um, or maybe he has one good season where he maybe overperforms. And then in the next season, he maybe goes back to mean in a way. So I think it's important now uh, for Pioli to consistently play him in one position. And I think Giroud coming in helps that. Uh, because if Ibrahimovic is not playing, um, Giroud can come in. And if Giroud is not playing, Rebic can play up front. And you can see that Paoli is now um, very confident of the fact that Leao is a left-sided forward because that 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 fits him. Uh, where again, um, Hernandez um, plays very high up the page as a left back, and Leao cuts inside. So I think um, it's going to be a big season for him in a way, um, and I think he's going to benefit from a lot of those Milan players because that Milan team is still very very young. Um, and you look at Tonali, you look at Brahim Diaz, you look at Tomori. Um, these are players who are now set to have quite important seasons for Milan. I know 
Tomori was pretty good last season, but that but that was uh, maybe what a four four month period. But now it's going to be um, the real defining season for him, where he's got to play one season consistently and prove himself. Same goes for Diaz. Same goes for Tonali. And I think Leao's probably at the same same stage as well. But yeah, we know that he's a mystery and he's in a way a bit more inconsistent than the others. Yeah, I think yeah. Pioli needs to play him regularly on the left now. Yeah, it it is as you say a very young team that Milan have. Um, I know particularly with Giroud and Ibrahimovic out, it's pretty much Kier and then a bunch of twenty five year olds or under. So so still a developing side for sure. Um, a team that that we know all about them now is Atalanta, Jake. Um, and they've been a bit. Uh, they haven't hit. The ground running this season, let's say, um, not not been you know firing in all the goals like they normally do. I think they've been the top scorers in Serie A the last two, maybe three seasons. Um, but those have dried up a bit this year. But but they got a two-one win in midweek against Sassuolo to move to ten points from five games. They normally start seasons a bit slowly. So would you say overall they're doing pretty solidly right now, and and maybe could get into the title picture or at least top four picture again this season? Uh, I really wanted them to win the league this year, to be honest, just because I really want them to sort of crown off these sort of golden period for the club. But um, I, I mentioned this more last few times I was on the pod, actually. I think if you look at this Atlanta team, and you look at the starting eleven that played against Sassuolo, you've got quite a few new players in there. There's actually a little bit of integration changing. So the old guard are making their way out. Papu Gomez obviously left last season. Josip Ilicic is on the bench a little bit more now. You know, it was a bit sort of those two and Zapata at times. You know, there's a lot of difference in that team now. You've got Tain Miners in that squad now. You've got Juan Musso in goal. Zappa Costa started at right wing back. You know, there's a lot of change in that squad, actually. So it's going to take them a little bit of time. Demi at centre-half. So they're not going to fly off from the start. These are players you've got to get used to playing in that sort of Atalanta system. And I think if you give them a, a, a little bit of time, another half a dozen games or so, I think they'll start banging the goals in. Uh, I think it's easy to forget them a little bit as well. We, you know, we mentioned some of the other clubs, Roma and Inter and Lazio, and you've sort of rotated manager, got managing that's sort of made people take notice and... You know, they've got strong squads invested a little bit. Atlanta know what they're doing. There's a project there. There's get rid of some players, make a little bit of money, try and bring a player in that's going to replace them eventually, maybe even better and sell on. I think you look at their squad and you forget even players like Matteo Lovato that they brought from Verona. And there's some real quality in that team. So if they can get used to that system, you know, get a few morale boosting big wins, I think they'll be tough to stop. Yeah, they do have a tendency, as we've seen over the last uh, couple of seasons, to really sort of kick on in the second half of the campaign, you know, particularly January onwards. So perhaps this first half of the season will be all about them staying in touch and then and then perhaps making a push in the second half. Um, but then I want to come on to Sassuolo with you, Kostu. Um you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, they've been around sort of that seventh or eighth place the last couple of seasons. But it it looks like they've they've dropped a bit this year. Um, I think that's three straight defeats now. And um, is that a bit of a concern for them? How do you see their season panning out? Do you, do you expect them maybe to drop into the bottom half this year? Yeah, I think so. I think they'll probably be bordering along that where. They sometimes threaten to break into the top half of the table, but then 
maybe just finished 11th or 10th or maybe 12th around that period because the one positive thing that I like about Sassuolo is still the fact that um, they've not changed tactically too much. Whereas you look at the teams that are around them, maybe Torino, maybe Hellas Verona or uh, Udinese, these teams have either undergone massive transitions in terms of the squad at their, dis- at their disposal or in terms of the tactical approach that they're taking. But Sassuolo essentially have a bit of a similar squad. And even though they've got a new manager in, Dionisi, but their playing style is still quite the same, which is something that probably sets them apart from the teams that I just mentioned because Sampdoria are trying to play a different brand of football. Um, I know Verona probably are one of the favourites for going down because they essentially operated on a shoestring budget and somehow uh, survived in the league for two consecutive seasons. But I think that's one thing which favours Sassuolo. And I think the moves, some of the moves that I've made, that they've made in the window are still good enough to keep them in the division, um, which I know is still true for uh, Sampdoria, for Torino and the clubs that I expected to finish around them. But yeah, I think the way the identity that uh, Deserbi brought to the table is still pretty much there. You can see it. And I think um, pretty much a bit like Napoli, where they had three or four players that were just waiting to catch fire. Um, Sassuolo are also in the same position um, where they've got a host of players who will probably catch fire this season and maybe the next season they'll be at, probably be at the same position again where they threaten to challenge for the league uh, for, for, for Europe and maybe just qualify for the, for the conference league. Yeah, we interesting to see how, uh, how Sassuolo... Uh, get on in the end this season because that they've really been a, a great watch over the last couple of years. Uh, Going to move on to Roma now, um, who who you've already mentioned, Jake, and they've had a positive start under Mourinho. They did uh, lose their first game uh, on on Sunday against Verona, but they got back to winning ways uh, on Thursday with a one nil win against Udinese. Uh, Tammy Abraham got the winner and he, I believe he's got two goals and two assists in his first five appearances. So so have you been quite impressed with how he's settled into life in Italy? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think what's most encouraging part of it is he just looks really enthusiastic to be there. Um, I think looking at him, he's, he's pressing. is something that's come on a lot. I think the job that Mourinho's asking him to do requires him to do a lot more pressing. Uh, he plays off the shoulder still. Uh, and I think he just looks like he's really enjoying his football. He's, he's trying to adapt himself to the culture a little bit. You know, let's not forget, you know, how many English players really go abroad and make it work. And I think, obviously, to me, judging by the way that he plays on the pitch and even the way he's been acting off it, he knows that. And he's really trying to change that stereotype a little bit. Uh, I think he's playing under a manager that he obviously respects as well, too. And he knows as well, at, at Chelsea, he, in, you could argue to an extent he was quite harshly treated. You know, in the season they had the transfer embargo, he stepped up and scored a few goals. Even last year, he was the top goal scorer in all competitions. So he's a player at this point in his career who needs to start playing first in football week in and week out at a decent level to prove himself. And I think he knows that. You know, he wants to break into that England setup too. So I've been really impressed by him. He's there's a lot of buzz around Roma with Mourinho going there. You know, I don't think they've been all that convincing recently. Uh, I think they look a little bit sort of hot, one paced, and things like that. But that won't matter to Mourinho, he's getting the results. And I think Abraham's just right place, right time for me. I think he's needed to make a move to establish himself in a side at a good level. Uh, and I think Roma's probably the perfect place for him. And fair play to him for taking the risk. 
you know, like I've just mentioned, not a lot of English players give it a go abroad. And uh, I think that was pretty brave of him. And, you know, I, I think the worst things have been loved by Roma fans anyway. He, uh, he, he was certainly uh, getting involved in the Roma pre-match anthem yesterday. I know that clip was going around Twitter. Um, really nice clip there. And and I'm, I'm fascinated to see whether, whether he does uh, get back into the England squad soon. Uh, both him and Tamori, of course, doing really well in Syria and both have, I think, serious claims to, to get back into Southgate's squad. Um, one negative, though, from Thursday's game, of course, Steve, was Lorenzo Pellegrini getting sent off so late. Um, I know Mourinho was saying afterwards that Roma are going to do all they can to make him available. So I think they're going to try and appeal in some way, whether they'll have any success with that. But but if he is suspended for, for the Rome derby this weekend, how big a blow is that for Roma? I think just purely in terms of the stature of the player, I think, and, and how good Pellegrini has done over the season um, in the league and in Europe for Roma, I think it's going to be a big miss in that sense. But I think it's the sort of game which um, Mourinho is an expert at dealing with because we know how Lazio play uh, under Maurizio Sarri with a higher defensive line, with a lot of possession with him in that 4-3-3. And historically, um, in Mourinho's previous two clubs, um, when uh, Man United took on Ajax in the Europa League final, uh, when Ajax used to play a 4-3-3 um, with a lot of possession and pressing, United beat them 2-0 in the final with a United squad which wasn't great at that time, which wasn't really in Mourinho's mold. And when Mourinho was at Spurs and they, when they constantly came across Manchester City, who again played a 4-3-3 under Pep Guardiola, um, the Spurs actually had a had quite a good record against um, City at home and away, so I think it's something which which is pretty intriguing. As as we know, Shomorodov, who's um, who Mourinho is quite a big fan of, and he appreciates his qualities quite a lot. And the good thing about him is that he can play across the front three and in the number ten position. Um, so I think it's it's the sort of game where Mourinho would like to. Ex- expose those open spaces in the Roma midfield and in front of their back line and behind the back line, which I think Shomorodov is really, really good at because he's just a ruthless runner all across the park. He knows where the channels are. He knows where the spaces are. So I think even though Pellegrini on paper is going to be a big miss, um, playing maybe Shomorodov in that number 10 role um, can really help Roma. And I think even though Roma haven't really been great in the last two games or maybe last three games in a way, I think they should probably win that game or at least they shouldn't lose that game. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Rome derby towards the end of the episode as well. Um, And that brings us nicely on to Lazio. I'll I'll come to you first, Jake. They've now gone four games without a win, um, including that Europa League game against Galatasaray last week. Um, That was after they made a really positive start in their first sort of three games of the season. Um, Do you think maybe the players are just struggling to adapt to Sari's style a little bit at the moment? And if so, are there any particular players that you've noticed haven't quite, you know, sort of clicked under him yet? I agree with that 100%, yeah, definitely. I think that the squad's very much built for that 3-5-2 system that they've operated under the last few years with Inzaghi. I think you're looking at the squad and he's trying to play players like Raul Moro, a young player who's 
never really played much first team action. Knees thrust into it just because he's so desperate. So players who are capable of playing a four three three. Uh, I think a big issue for Lazio as well is the lack of quality in that squad. You talk about Immobile, you talk about Luis Alberto, Milinkovic Savic, Acherbi. I think, you know, besides that, there's not a lot of real quality in there, especially when you get a couple of injuries or you want to bring substitutes on. A big issue last year was the fact that they were in the Champions League and they recruited some really bang average players, players like Akpa, Akpro, Escalante. I thought they were really poor signings. And I think that was really disappointing for them. They've not really been able to kick on after what was a really promising season uh, in 1920. I know the pandemic sort of halted that because at one point a lot of they could even win the league. So I think for Sorry to have any sort of real impact, he needs to be able to bring in players capable of playing in a 4-3-3 system. I still think Felipe Anderson will be a really good signing for Lazio. I think it's one of those deals that people forget about. Um, they sold him for what almost £50 million in the end. And they've bought him back for two and a half million. That's absolutely crazy. And he's, he's looked quite good in a few of those games as well. So he's someone who'll be quite key. But I just think the way that the squad is set up, it's not there for 4 3 3. And sorry, he's just cramming players in at the minute to just play that system. And they're not used to it. Um, and I, I just don't think it really works. I think Zakani's a good sign as well from Verona uh, for what it's worth. I think he's brilliant. So if you can add, add a couple of players in there that can play 4 3 3, I think they'll be fine. Of course, Lazio uh, were facing Torino on Thursday, uh, ended in a one-all draw. So that, that's three matches unbeaten now for Torino under Ivan Juric. Um, Torino have been pretty dire to watch the last sort of season or two, haven't they, uh, Kostub? Um, but are you seeing signs that they're starting to progress again? I know they made Europe uh, sort of three years ago. Is, is that maybe a likely target? For them, uh, sorry, a realistic target for them this year to sort of try and get that seventh spot, or should it really be try and push into the top half and then progress again next year? Yeah, I think I think the key for them as things stand should be to try for Europe um, because um, we don't really know whether they're going to make it or not. But I think, as I said before, I think Torino on paper have got a better squad than Fiorentina in a way. I mean a better and a bigger squad than Fiorentina. And they, both the teams sort of play a sophisticated brand of football, which is complex and takes a bit of a while to gel. And it takes a lot out of the players in a limited time. And, and we talked about how the, the, the Fiorentina squad and the team sort of just switch off towards the end of games. I think Torino, we may not see that issue with Torino prop up too much because as I said, they've, they've, they've got a much better squad. It's actually a squad which is pretty solid um, and a lot of players in there can actually play different positions. Um, we know they lost Lanco, but they've got Bongiorno who can play at centre-back and I think in full-back as well sometimes. So I think, and I think Ola Aina can play wide and he can play centre-midfield or as a uh, wide centre-back as well. So I think there's a lot of options there which Ivan Juric can try and I think We've uh, we've seen um, at Verona that he can be the sort of manager who um, likes versatile players um, and and is versatile with the way his teams attack. It's it's not as if um, it's not as if he always wants a proper striker in the team. There have been times that um, Verona, especially the early um, early part of his uh, of Verona's time in Serie A, where De Carmine used to play as a striker when he never really scored too many goals. I think 
he just picked Fiorentina as his main victim, um, which was annoying where I think De Carmine scored against Fiorentina when he hadn't really scored before. So I think he's he's the sort of manager who has an identity, but contrary to Vincenzo Italiano, he can be versatile, he can be he can adjust to what he has in the plate because with Verona we saw that they as I said, they played they had a shoestring budget, but they still adapted and sometimes did play much deeper than what you what you Richard want. So I think it's something which which is gonna favor Torino and and I, and I think even though they don't make Europe this time around, um, they might as well do that next season because um, once they they sort of establish themselves closer to that to that spot and establish themselves within Europe's complex system, I think that's going to be uh, a catapult for them to challenge for Europe next season. Of course, you were, you were talking about Verona there, and uh, actually their game is the next one we're going to move on to. Um, they played Salonitana in midweek um, and, and went 2-0 up in that game, actually, but Salonitana managed to pull it back to 2 all uh, to get their first point of the season. Jake, I know early on in most seasons, we're looking at who are those one or two teams who look like they're really going to struggle. I think most people have picked out Salonitana as that team, but... They they were better in midweek, got themselves a point. Can can they maybe start to push up and at least make themselves competitive a bit like we sort of saw with Crotone last year, who ultimately went down but uh but weren't thrashed in many games? I think they're really gonna struggle. Uh, I think you look across their squad, there's so much Serie B quality players in that team, players who've played in that league for quite a while. Um, I think there's a real lack of quality. You've got Frank Ribery in there, weirdly, which makes not, not really any sense to anybody. Uh, it's, obviously, he just loves living in Italy. And what I found really weird is I, I almost forgot that they'd signed Simi as well. That's really weird because he's not even really started that many games. He had no impact at all. And I mean, his, his stats were padded quite heavily by penalties last year, but he's a really, really good player. I think I don't understand how he's ended up there and no other side sort of how the league table is. And made a bit of a bid for him because he was so cheap as well. But I think he's going to be the key if you can get him in the team, work around him, and get rebrief firing. Those two could be a bit of a duo up front. But I really fear for them. Look at players like Gyomba, um, who's never really sort of lit it up at any sort of point in his career anywhere as such. I think he's been he's his high watermark at the minute. Players like Luca Ranieri, who were playing in the league below last season. Milan Juric, who ended up sort of playing at Bristol City a couple of years ago, I'm seeing him play at Preston, and I thought he was rubbish then. So I think the, the lack of quality in their team really concerns me. I think I love the club. I think it's fantastic. I'm really pleased to see them back in the league. But I think they're in a similar case to Venezia. They're just not enough quality in that team. Um, they're, they're a proper hipster club, and I like them. The stadium's amazing, but I really think they're going to struggle this season. And I, I struggle to see how they can sort of jump out of it. I think Verona will be disappointed with that result, actually, considering the way they performed against Roma as well. I thought they were really good. And uh, they, they, they've targeted that as another game to sort of pull them up the table a little bit more and forget that Di Francesco ever happened. So, yeah, I think they're really going to struggle. Bottom three, probably bottom. Oh, I, I'm sure some of the Tana fans were hoping you'd throw them a bone there, Jake. But you don't, you don't sound too positive about their their chances. Um, and another game we're going to move on to now was Bologna Genoa, and of course we've seen Genoa struggling at the wrong end of the table in recent years. Uh, they came from behind twice in this game to to get a two all draw. Uh, a couple of penalties in this one as well, Kostub. Um 
what do you make of how Bologna and Genoa are looking this season? Are either of those sides going to be in, in trouble this year, do you reckon? Or, or do you think they'll both be OK? I think Bologna will be a bit safer than Genoa in a way, because even though um, I think Mihalovic is an OK-ish manager, I mean, there were times when he was linked with Juventus and I think Inter as well for a brief period, which, which I found pretty weird. But yeah, I think he's a decent manager and I think Genoa, I'm not really confident about them. Uh, and I think uh, none of those two teams will get relegated, but I'm just talking in terms of how closer they are going to be to the bottom three. And I think Genoa probably will be. And I think that's that's largely because I don't think Balladini is going to last the season. Um, again, I think Bologna have got a better squad um, because Bologna, you've seen the last two or three seasons or something, they've got this identity where um, they sign lesser known players uh, for cheaper fees um, from pretty much all across the world, from all across the continent. We saw we saw um, Tommy Asu join from Belgium and then go on to Arsenal now, and he's started really well at Arsenal. I think it's 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 it just shows that Bologna are a sustainable club um, in a lot of ways, whereas Genoa, you don't really see um, a true identity there. Um, I like Nicolo Rovella, but he's not going to stay there anyway. And I think every single time you look at um, Bologna, who sometimes uh, in a way, pretend to play a possession brand of football, but since we know that they're not exactly a Lazio or a Torino or a Fiorentina, they can't really do that every single time. Um, but statistically, um, every time you look at them, um, they show signs of having an identity. Whereas for Genoa, it's a bit wishy-washy in a way. It's a bit here and there, uh, almost like being in a dark room. Um, throwing paint at the wall and just hoping you come up with a Picasso painting or something. A bit it's a lot of times it give it just gives you that sort of an impression. I think I don't think Baladini's gonna last the season. They will probably again bring a new manager in, which is a habit for them. We know that. I think Bologna have always been that um that sort of a team that threatens to be in the upper half of the table. I think it's probably going to be a similar sort of season. Um for both of those teams, I I wonder if Genoa are becoming like the Italian Sunderland, where they just sort of bring a manager in late in the season to try and yeah. save them after after two birds of a season of mediocrity. <laughs> that, that seems to have been the sort of pattern the last two or three years. Remember when Sunderland had that phase when they were bringing in like Dick Advocat and Sam Allardyce um, to save them in the they're last just, uh... They're just a West Brom in Sunderland's blood because they're always just there. Yeah. But they've got those Sunderland habits of sacking managers for absolutely no reason. A bit like Watford as well. Yeah. I know Jenner are, are Italy's oldest club, of course, but I have to admit yeah. that I wouldn't mind them going down for a season or two just so that this sort of trend of them not being very good can maybe end. But we'll see. Um <laughs> The final game that we haven't mentioned, Jake, was uh, Empoli getting an away win at Cagliari. Um, Empoli had a couple of good results on the road. Of course, they beat Juve um, on the road last month as well. Um, do you think maybe the way they're set up is that they, they're going to be more successful on the road with that sort of counter-attacking style, perhaps? Um, 
because they haven't really, you know, had any success at home yet. Um, but maybe that's the way they're going to survive this year. Yeah, that weird sort of inverted Christmas tree that they play does sort of lend itself to playing better away from home. And I quite like that. I think, you know, it's to be able to mind, you look at those three promoted sides and they're the one who's shown the most sort of convincingness or, already, mainly because they look more defensively sound and they must have looked at Crotone last year, shipping all those goals, playing a high line and just thought, you know. And Embley, you know, they're, they're a perennial yo-yo club. You know, you talk about Genoa, you know, having to get Balladini back each season to keep them up. You know, Empoli decide, I think this time, you know, look, we're going to try and be a bit more rigid and play on the counter. And to be honest, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Empoli. I think, look at the side that came up last time, you know, Caputo and Benesser and players like that and Di Lorenzo. They're a really good team. This time, not quite as many big stars. Um, but the two strikers, if Pinamonte and Patrick Catrone are as good in real life as they are on football manager or FIFA career mode, they won't, they won't go far wrong. And of course, uh, for Cagliari, that they recently got Walter Mazzari in, um, uh, and and he's had two games in charge. That first game in a way draw against Lazio looked really promising, but then but then a setback here, Costu. How do you feel they're going to get on on under Mazzari? Because they they've got you know some really decent players in that squad. Uh, Godin with all his experience, Nahit Hernandez, of course. But are, are they going to be struggling this season? Do you think? I think they're going to be safe because what Mazzari offers, I mean, at this point of time, I think about five, six years ago, he sort of gave teams a chance at probably making it to Europe. We saw that with, with Torino. But I think it's probably come to a time where he's just there to do a job. I mean, again, a Premier League, Premier League comparison, probably a bit like Sam Allardyce used to, where mm-hmm. he's just there to keep them in the division when things weren't going right with, which is actually quite a solid squad. Um, they've got those sort of players who maybe in a season can can move on to a bigger club. Those like um, Joao Pedro, Carboni, and uh, even Razvan Marin, I think. They've got a lot of decent players in there who are still of a very decent age group. And I think if Cagliari had a manager who, let's say, played a 4-3-3 shape, um, a lot of that squad is meant for a different brand of football. I think Mazzari is probably just there to keep in the keep they'll keep them in the division for another season, and they'll probably see what happens after that. Yeah, could, could well be could well be the case. Um, and so that covers the midweek round of games. We're just going to look ahead to the weekend because there's. There's, you know, two or three really exciting games coming up. Um, of course, Dube, you've already sort of given your thoughts on on the Rome derby. So I'll come to Jake on this one. Um, you know, Rome, Rome and Lazio both made really positive starts. Gone a little off the boil last couple of games, but maybe Roma have slightly more momentum coming into this, would you say, Jake? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I'm going to pick someone to win that game. It's probably going to be Roma, but I envisage it being a really cagey affair. I think neither team will want to lose it. Uh, I think Mourinho definitely won't want to lose it. He'll play as cagey as possible. Uh, I won't like to call it, I'd say, a draw, um, based on what I can sort of predict at this point. I think it'll be an interesting one. I think you could argue in some um, respects it's probably the biggest derby in terms of the backing that both sides have got from the media and things like that, you know, which has been made about Sari arriving at Lazio and obviously we know going in at Roma. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'd be a really good game. 
Uh, it might not be pretty on the eye, but it'll certainly be a battle. And having the fans back there as well will be really good to see too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, of, of course, Roma, one of their main issues under Fonseca the last couple of seasons was was their was their um, their record in these games against the sort of top six or seven clubs. So it'll be interesting to see if Mourinho can change that. And then Kostub, um, the other big game I think we can say this weekend uh, comes on Saturday evening. That's Inter hosting Atalanta. Um I guess based on current form, Inter enter that game as slight favourites, but but we can never count out Atalanta, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Atalanta's main problem at this point is probably the goal-scoring part. Um, they try to look as free-flowing as they used to under Gasparini over the last two or three seasons, but largely because of the transition that they that they are going through with a new spine that's coming through for them. I think that's just taking a while to judge. Um, I still think they're going to score a goal because Inter essentially hate keeping clean sheets at this point. I think it's probably going to be a bit like a bit of a Fiorentina Inter scholar in a 2-1 or 3-1, something like that, because I think Inter are the sort of team that grow into games as the, as the minutes tick on, uh, where teams know that they always try to play through, um, they try to play centrally in a way and they basically start with blocking through the midfield lines. And as the game passes on for Brozovic, um, when he's not been, he's been closed off in the first 30 minutes, he grows into those games and then into blow teams away. So I think it's, it might just be a case of that happening. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be a 2-1 or 3-1 again for Inter. Going for an Inter win. Okay, interesting. Well, it's, it's going to be going to be a great weekend of action. We've also got Juve playing Sampdoria. We'll see if they can pick up back-to-back wins and start to gather some momentum. But thanks for joining me, guys. Really great to have you on. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you again next week to round up the weekend's action. Bye-bye.